As you start to reach more people, things start to feel more complex. There's more to do and more to keep track of, and it starts to actually take time away from creating content. I felt this struggle personally. The more creator science grew, the more it felt like I was dropping the ball. So I did something about it. I built a set of rock solid systems, all in Notion to support the business as we grew. And it worked like a charm. I've now taken my personal Notion setup and productized it. It's called Creator HQ, and it's the complete operating system that you need for your creator business. I built Creator HQ to be an all-in-one workspace designed to save you more time, create more content, and drive more revenue. By leveraging Creator HQ, we are publishing more than we ever have, and we're nearing $1 million in annual revenue because of it. It brings all of your data and processes into one place with custom-built dashboards to reduce friction in managing tasks, creating content, and collaborating with your team. I've seriously spent more than three years building this, and now you can have the same systems that I use right out of the box. In the lab, one of our members just posted, I have spent the last few weeks diving into Creator HQ, learning how it works, and making it my own. This is the first time in a while that I felt this organized and filled with hope that I can find a workflow that will work for me with my whole business. This is gold. I will definitely be giving a testimonial for this badass product. If you're new to Notion, don't worry. I've included a ton of specific tutorials to help you learn how to use Notion generally and Creator HQ specifically. I've never seen another Notion product integrate tutorials like we have here. More than 300 other creators are already using Creator HQ, and I am not exaggerating when I say I would be lost without this system. Creator HQ is what keeps the trains running over here. As a podcast listener, I'm giving you my best price. You can get 10% off using the promo code podcast at checkout. Just head to creatorhq.co to watch the video and learn more. That's creatorhq.co and use promo code podcast to save 10%. Do not just spit back one number when the brand says, how much for a YouTube integration? If you have a rate card or a rate sheet in your media kit, delete that immediately. Take that page down. That's Justin Moore, a sponsorship coach who is helping thousands of YouTubers just like you find and negotiate their dream brand deals. In the last few years, his students have landed over $5 million in sponsorships, and that number is increasing fast. So what's his secret? My sponsorship wheel is my proven eight-step system to land consistent, well-paying sponsorships. It's, in essence, a sales pipeline. Today, you'll learn the right way to pitch yourself to brands. Most creators convince themselves that cold pitching doesn't work because of this. No, it actually does work, but you just have to... How to negotiate without leaving money on the table? This is one of the easiest ways to kind of upsell yourself and, and make, you know, five, 10x more on a deal. Ooh. How to handle contracts? If you are checking for these things, once you've received the contract, that's actually too late. Read your contracts. And that you're probably wrong about some things. Publish seems straightforward. Tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) You're 100% wrong. (laughs) Okay. A lot of people don't do it right. (laughs) Can you walk me through your sponsorship wheel from an overview standpoint? And then we'll dive in and talk about each piece and how people can use it to land their dream sponsorships. All right. So my sponsorship wheel is my proven eight step system to land consistent, well-paying sponsorships. It's in essence, a sales pipeline. This is a pretty foreign concept, I think, to a lot of creators, but um, I've been, my, my prior life, I guess, was kind of in the professional corporate world. I also ran an agency for many years and had to develop this muscle, essentially, which was how do you take a client from point A, uh, you know, pitching them essentially to all the way through closing the deal. And so I, I mirrored that process um, 
across to what actually creators should be doing when it comes to uh, working and closing deals with sponsors and brands. And so the first phase is the pitch phase, right? And so this is your ability to send a pitch to a brand to propose a collaboration or to confidently handle a deal when a brand has reached out to you. So a lot of people think that a pitch is like, oh, you reaching out and pitching a brand. But no, you actually still have to pitch a brand when they come inbound to you because they, you know, it's not the deal's not across the finish line yet. They're probably talking with 10, 15, 20, 50 other creators. And so you still have to convince them that you're the, the best person for the job. Step number two is the negotiate phase. And so this is the your ability to negotiate advantageous deal points with a brand or an agency so that you don't leave money on the table, right? The third phase is the contract step, okay? And this is your ability to create or review contracts or delegate it to pros or like a lawyer, for example. Yes. So every negotiation deal point is accurately represented. Step number four is the concept phase. And this is your ability to review creative briefs and submit concepts to the brand or the agency, even if they haven't asked you to. So everyone is on the same page. And we'll get into that further. The fifth step is produce. And so this is your ability to create content that meets or exceeds brands expectations of timeliness, quality and or performance. Step six is the feedback round. And this is, you know, your ability to remain objective when brands or agencies request revisions or edits or reshoots so that the relationship is actually reinforced and not soured, which is, is a little like harder than it, than it seems, okay? So step seven is the publish around, and this is your ability to publish work accurately and on time without micromanagement by the brand and follow up with initial data and wins so that your contact looks like a hero. Remember, I ran an uh, influencer agency for many years, and yeah, this seems like an easy step, but no, a lot of people <laughs> do not publish things on time and they're not super responsive. And the final step is the analysis step. And this is your ability to analyze the overall success of the partnership, tie up all those loose ends and pitch the brand on the next collaboration. This is so good. If I'm honest, I feel like a lot of my processes in the past have been pitch, produce, publish. Contract is in there a lot of times, but you know, maybe half of these steps are things that I'm consciously thinking about that I'm intentionally designing and going through. So quick note on aggregate data that I already have. I've had hundreds of creators take this uh, assessment because I've turned my sponsorship wheel into an assessment that I call the sponsorship wheel uh, snapshot. And uh, it's a free snapshot you can take and maybe we'll link it in the description. Um, and um, essentially, uh, I have data across all of these creators that have taken this. And um, without fail, steps one and two are where people rate themselves the lowest. And to your point, the produce step, the feedback, the publish, like everyone always rates themselves the highest because like that's their strong suit. Most creators like we're publishing content all, you know, every day, you know, all day long, essentially. And so it's just really interesting to see kind of where because, you know, you essentially get emailed a graphical uh, spider chart kind of representation of where your score lands. And yeah, it's the it's the pitching, it's the negotiating and it's the analysis phase. Those are the weakest for most people. Let's start with pitch and let's let's assume that the viewer isn't getting many inbound pitches to them yet or as many as they'd like. And they say, you know what, I am willing to go out and find people to pitch myself to. How do you recommend people go about doing that? So there's two parts of it. 
there's who you pitch to, who do you actually send this to? And the other part is, what do you say, right? So let's talk about what do you say first? Because if you're sending something that is really uninteresting, um, then you're, it doesn't matter who you send it to, you're gonna get ghosted, right? So I have a pitching methodology uh, that's called the ROPE method. It's R-O-P-E. R stands for your pitch has to be relevant to a campaign that the brand is either currently running or has run in the past. O stands for organic, meaning that you can tie your pitch back to organic work that you've already published across any of your your platforms. Um, P stands for proof, so you can show and illustrate to the brand how you've helped other brands achieve results. And E stands for easy to execute when they say, yeah, actually, this sounds interesting. What did you have in mind, right? And so the the form that most pitches take for, you know, when creators reach out, is like, hi, my name is Jay. I have this awesome YouTube channel. I have all these subscribers and I get this many views per video. Here's my demographics. They just kind of like pull open the trench coat and like, you know, bear it all, right? Do you like it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're like, please like me, right? And the brand is just kind of like, whoa, like, no, actually, I don't know you. Um, and I'm not cool with, with you bearing it all. And they just either delete your email or they don't respond, right? And and this is the dangerous part, actually, is that most creators convince themselves that cold pitching doesn't work because of this. Mm. They say, oh, man, whenever I reach out to brand, like, this is not something that's going to work. Like, no, brands never respond to me. And so it's a it's a really dangerous uh thing because no, it actually does work, but you just have to say something uh, to, to actually uh, get them interested and excited and wanting to respond to you, right? And so the big mindset shift and inversion that I hope everyone has is that your pitch has to be about them. It's not about you. And so the reason that the rope method is so powerful is that you do a little bit of research. You say, okay, what's going on in the brand's world? It seems like, let's say, let's say, you know, we're sitting here, uh, you know, January, right? We're, we're, we want to work with brands, the new year, et cetera. A lot of people think, oh, let me reach out about a new year, new you campaign, right? Maybe I'm a fitness creator or, you know, I, I, I'm a, you know, a habit you know, YouTuber and I talk about building habits. Perfect time, new year, right? I'm going to reach out to this brand. Would love to talk about your brand. And they say, mm, sorry, no, we're not actually doing any paid partnerships right now. And the creator's like, what the heck? That makes no sense. Well, Probably it's because that brand has already allocated all of their budget for quarter one already, which is January, February, March. And so in reality, probably what you need to do is go back and see, well, actually, what campaigns were they running in Q2 of last year, mm. right? So we maybe scroll back on their Instagram. We go back and look at their blog, maybe press releases, see what their marketing, you know, the VP of marketing or influencer marketing manager is talking about on LinkedIn, maybe, right? And you go back and you say, oh, it seems like they were running some, this, this spring campaign or something. I'm going to go pitch them and say, hey, I saw that you were running this campaign last March or last, you know, April, whatever it is. Are you going to be running that campaign again this year? Then you link a post to illustrate that your audience has affinity for this. That's the O in the rope method where it's like, hey, I, I you know, also talk every spring, I talk about a, a similar topic about the importance of getting ready for the summer and getting those chiseled abs, right? Et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and then the P in the rope method is you say, you know, I'm happy to share some insights of how I've helped, you know, this other fitness brand achieve results and the easy to execute part. This is, this is critical, Jay, which is that here's exactly what I'm proposing to do for you. I'm going to do two integrated YouTube videos. I'm going to give you, you know, the usage rights to take that content, cut it down into a 30 second ad and run paid advertising with it. I'll give you the rights through the, you know, through, uh, you know, Q2. So end of, you know, June or whatever it is. Are you free on Thursday at 10 a.m. to talk? That's the rope pitch. It's not. 
oh, you know, all these like big ambiguous promises or, or uh, you know, uh, you know, things that you say in the email that the brand's just not really going to get excited about. So you see how, how much different that is than just like, yeah. hey, I'd, I'd love to collaborate with you. Do you, you want to want to chat? <laughs> you know? Yeah. This is so tasty for two reasons. One being you're talking about getting a quarter ahead of this because as you've noted, brands just operate differently than individuals. They often are allocating budgets that were given to them by their boss, the company, and these are on a rolling basis. And the other thing that I really want to underscore, the easiest way to get a yes is to do all of the heavy lifting for somebody and say, all you need to say is yes or no. And in the previous paradigm where you're just kind of like showing people, you know, your media kit and all these properties, you're still putting all of the burden of imagination for the campaign on that individual. It's work. You're handing them work when you're asking them for a partnership and for and for money ultimately. So this rope method is really saying, here's all the hard work. All you have to do is say yes. And I am aware of your timelines. I don't expect you to say yes tomorrow because I see that sometimes with pitches too, where you make a great pitch and say, can we do this next week, next month? And by other constraints, the answer is just no by default. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up about the, the additional work stuff because it segs really nicely into the second aspect of how do you get on their radar? It's like pitching the right person. Let's say that you're trying to target a smaller brand. Um, when you go on LinkedIn, let's say, and look at the marketing hierarchy of that company, there's probably only one person. It's probably the director of marketing. They, they have 10 people working there or 15 people working there. That person is probably the person that you want to pitch because they don't really have anyone else. And so they're doing all the things. They're wearing all the hats. And so the rope pitching method is even more critical in scenarios like that because, again, they, they're doing everything. They're doing the you know pay-per-click ads on Google. They're running their Facebook ads. They're doing everything because they're the they have they have to. Right. And so it changes, however, though, as the organization scale changes. Right. And so um, let's say you're going after a medium sized company. Now you start to have dedicated roles um, and titles called things like influencer marketing manager or partnerships manager, depending if it's a B2C, like a business to consumer or B2B, business to business. Maybe it's the digital marketing manager. Maybe it's the content marketing manager. There's all these kind of different titles that you need to start uh, familiarizing yourself with. Um, but then when you go after some serious scale and now you're going after the large multinational conglomerate type companies, the important thing to understand is they have now delegated partnership strategy, paid partnership strategy, likely to an agency, a media agency, a PR agency, maybe even a, a dedicated influencer marketing um, agency. And the, the real complicated thing to realize is that the largest brands often have multiple agencies now. And so mm. this is one of the things that I learned having, ran, you know, when I ran the influencer marketing agency was that there's just these all these kind of myriad paths that you need to kind of understand and start to, you know, navigate when you start working with brands. And so, you know, the, the complexity definitely changes based on um, how many employees work there. After a quick break, Justin tells us how to get brand deals, even if you don't have a large audience. So stick around. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Last year, my wife and I started talking about her joining the business full time. This is a huge decision, not just for the business, but for our marriage. My wife, being the very smart and thoughtful woman that she is, suggested that we proactively sign up for therapy as a couple to help us communicate better before we started working together. It really helped us have better language to describe how we're feeling and listen to one another. 
which generally lowers the intensity of any conversation. Now, I had never been in therapy before, but here's something that I didn't expect. It didn't just help our dialogue, but it helped my inner monologue too. The way I understand my own experience has changed based on the tools that I got from therapy. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so it's convenient, it fits your schedule, and you can be in the comfort of your own home. Just fill out a short questionnaire and you'll get matched with a licensed therapist. They even make it easy to switch therapists if it doesn't feel like a fit. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com creator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash creator. This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters, featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com slash science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. And now back to my conversation with Justin Moore. If I'm just getting started, let's say that I haven't done many or any brand partnerships or integrations. Would you recommend that I start with a larger conglomerate and try to find that right person? Or should I start on the lower end where they have fewer employees? Maybe they do just have this director of marketing position. This is a great opportunity to, to talk about something that I call the sponsorship continuum. What you pitch and who you pitch changes based on where you're at in your creator journey. So a lot of creators start out and they're like, I'm going to go pitch Nike. I'm going to go pitch Coca-Cola. These are my dream Apple. Like these are my dream sponsorships. And so first of all, got to do a sanity check here. The, the chances of them, um, you know, working with a smaller kind of nano micro, uh, you know, creator usually low, not impossible. Sometimes they do kind of scale campaigns like that, but it may be more realistic to set your sights on the smaller to medium-sized companies in the beginning. But what I like to talk about when it comes to the continuum is you, you think about these kind of three moments in time. So when you're starting out and you don't have much experience or you don't have a, a super large audience and you don't have a lot of influence, if you re were, were to reach out and pitch a brand and say, hey, let me talk about you on my YouTube channel, that's likely not gonna move the needle for them right? And so they're probably not going to respond to that. However, if the thrust of your pitch is, hey, Brand, I did an audit of your social presence, right? I looked across all your social channels. I looked at your blog. I looked, I saw that you didn't, you know, have these kind of content pillars in place. I would love to help create some content for you that you can utilize 
on your what's called O and O, your owned and operated, you know, uh, sites or maybe third party e-commerce platforms like Amazon, or maybe use it for paid advertising or something. Heck, maybe I can do some consulting for you. And in this scenario, your YouTube channel or your platforms are your portfolio. And so it's just, and a lot of people don't think that this is a sponsorship, but it absolutely is because you're leaning on your credibility, having grown the channel to help the brand in, in kind of some other interesting ways. And so that's the first part of the continuum. Then you move a little bit, you grow, right? Maybe you're getting thousands of views per video now, right? And so now maybe when you reach out, it's a combination. It's a combo of consulting. Maybe you're going to create some content for the brand use. And yeah, maybe now posting natively on your platforms maybe becomes part of the deal. It becomes meaningful to them. Now let's move to the third pillar of the continuum, which is, okay, you've achieved some scale now. You're getting tens of thousands of views or listens or opens, whatever your platform is. Um, and now maybe it is incredibly meaningful for you to create and post natively, exclusively natively on your platforms. And you're not doing uh, anything for the brand on their platforms. And so I really like this continuum to help kind of, yeah. uh, you know, navigate where am I at in the journey? What types of brands should I pitch? And what's the highest probability of me actually closing this deal? You're kind of debunking this myth that I hear from creators a lot, which is they think there's this threshold of my audience being big enough to do these sponsorship deals. And maybe there are thresholds in the minds of some employees at some companies, but a lot of creators limit themselves because they think I need to have 10,000 subscribers or 10,000 followers. But it sounds like you're suggesting audience size doesn't matter. You just change what it is that you're pitching in terms of the deliverables of the partnership. I'll be totally real. Like there are absolutely brands who care about the vanity metrics. Like some of y'all watching this or listening may have experienced this where a brand reaches out, oh, you need this many minimum views on average for, for us to work with you or a certain number of minimum followers or subscribers or whatever. So it happens. There are definitely ignorant brands, in my opinion, ignorant brands who don't understand that subscribership, those, a lot of those vanity metrics are irrelevant. Like what really, what really matters is the influence, right? Like what are you able to drive the results, uh, for what the brand is trying to accomplish? Um, and so I'll be, yes, I ran an agency. I I've dealt with those clients. It's frustrating. It happens. But what I hope you hear is that there exists brands out there who are savvier, are smarter, but also you may actually need to educate them. Right. A lot of what I talk about is like, actually, it's your job as a creator to educate them about what's more important when it comes to doing an activation and, and doing a collaboration with the creator. And a lot of people, oh, I don't want to do that. It takes too much work. And OK, it's fine. But I can't tell you how many creators I've worked with and coached and all this stuff where it's like they put in the work. Oftentimes it's in a traditional industry, more of a kind of a traditional industry where brands aren't used to compensating creators in that way. And so, yeah, sometimes it can be a slog, 6, 12, 18 months where they're having lots of Zoom calls and lots of emails, and it seems like you're running up against a brick wall, and then you finally break through. I can share a quick anecdote and story of a, a creator that I worked with who is in the uh, scuba industry. His name's Thomas. His channel, YouTube channel is called Circle H Scuba. And when we first uh, had our initial coaching session, he was running up against this wall. A you know, brand, they just, they're used to giving free gear, free product, right? And they just are not willing to compensate or pay anyone. And so he just started a, on this path, educating, going 
going to these industry trade conventions, talking with brands, kind of helping them understand the value of working with brands. And now he's finally broken through and he has this, you know, he got his first very lucrative paid uh, brand partnership recently. Uh, he mentioned it uh, covered his, it, the way he put it was it covered his mortgage payment. It was it was more than a mortgage payment, less than the uh, MSRP of a Tesla. Those are his words. <laughs> and so these these really exciting things are happening to him because he put in the work. Okay, so let me recap a little bit. It sounds like you recommend using LinkedIn to find like the company page, probably look at who are the employees in this company, try to find the specific titles of marketing or partner manager, influencer manager, send them a pitch written in the rope method. At the end of that, the E part of that, easy to easy to implement, you have a specific idea for what the deliverables could be. What happens next? What happens when the brand responds? How does the conversation continue? And what should I be trying to do as the creator? Well, now it's time to negotiate, right? You know, a lot of creators think that that they're just so lucky to have gotten the brand interested. And so any number that the brand throws out, well, this is how much we can pay you. They just say, oh, okay. They, they, they just, they trip over themselves to say yes. And they don't want to counter, uh, you know, uh, negotiate or counter offer anything else, whether it's the deliverables or the pricing or whatever it is, uh, because they're afraid that the brand is going to walk away. And I, and I get that. I understand. Partially, I understand. Um, I, I get it because it's almost like validation. That first, those first couple paid partnerships that you do, when a brand gives you the time of day and is offering to actually pay you money, it almost is kind of a, you're able, you feel as though you can kind of give the middle finger, finger to all these people in your life who doubted you. It's like, see, yeah. You all didn't believe on, believe in me. Like, look at this. This is a, a brand willing to pay me for this, you know, content that I'm creating on the internet. That's a transformative moment. And so I understand that, like, it's a, it's a hard thing for me to tell people like, Hey, like, oh, calm down now. Don't just accept the first deal. And so, you know, I'll never fault anyone for taking the, you know, that first number that they throw out. But once you get a few deals under your belt and start to realize, you know what, actually, I think I left a lot of money on the table, or I think I actually, you know, came out with the short end of the stick here, you know, $50 plus a free bag of potato chips actually maybe isn't the best deal, you know, this type of thing. Right. <laughs> and so I think the first thing is acknowledging that, um, you actually have a lot that you're bringing to the table as a creator. I kind of like to think of, you know, creators as production companies in a box, right? You are the creative team. You ideate all of the ideas, right? You're the production team. You do it all. You're often the editing team, right? You are often the marketing team and you have an organic distribution channel. If the brand didn't hire you, they would have to go out there and hire a production company, actors and actresses to star in this content. They'd have to hire an editing team to cut the content. And when they have that finalized piece of content, they now have to pay YouTube and Instagram and Facebook to run that ad. Mm. You can do all that yourself, right? And so the next time that you are feeling gun shy to send back a counter, you know, uh, offer to them a different number. Just remember that you have the power. I love laying out all the different cost drivers that a brand would have if their alternative was doing it in-house versus working with somebody like you who can create the, the asset and who potentially has an audience distribution for that asset. That's so good to help people realize the value that they're offering. Yep. When I send this pitch, even if I do have the idea for the deliverable, the E part of the rope method. I assume a lot of times timing is wrong or maybe that specific package isn't right. And the brand responds like, ah, this isn't quite right, but let's talk on the phone. How do I handle that conversation and come out with 
a new idea for what to offer to to start the negotiation? The first thing I'll say is it's almost certain that the brand is going to say, we don't want to do that exact thing you're pitching. Because the point of the pitch is not to get them to say yes right away. The likelihood of them actually greenlighting it, okay, yeah, here's the money, do that exact thing you pitched me. No, it's giving them something tangible that they can react to. It also makes you look professional. It, it shows like, I am somebody to be taken seriously. 100%, it makes you look professional. And again, going back to the whole idea of like, don't make them do any work. Now they don't have to think, oh, like, how could I create this greater? They don't know. They don't know who you are. It's you actually pitching what you believe is, is your strength and them saying, well, you know what? That's interesting. I like your initiative here, but that's not our focus right now. Let's talk about this other perhaps initiative that we're working on next quarter. And so, you know, this is a really important insight, which is that the point of a pitch is not to get the deal. The point of a pitch is to get on their radar so that the next time they have an opportunity that slides across their desk, they're going to think that creator that reached out to me is a perfect fit. And it's not just about reaching out that first time. It's about nurturing that relationship for a long time. So if they, you know, just expect that they're going to, when you pitch them, they're going to say, hey, we don't have any budgets for any, you know, paid partnership. Let me, let me pull back the curtain, Jay. Okay. I ran an agency for many years and this is how it happens. Let's say you reach out and you pitch a brand cold on random May 4th, whatever, right? What you didn't realize was that the brand just wrapped recruitment for their summer campaign on May 1st. You're three days late, but there's no way that you could have known that. And so what happens? The creator looks at themselves. It's the long, dark night of the soul. They look at themselves in the mirror and they think, <laughs> I suck. Play a violin right here, by the way. I suck. Uh, the brand hates me. My pitch sucked. No one's ever going to want to work with me. And this is what happens. Is that you turn inward, right? And I get it. I totally understand that, especially in the absence of, of them telling you that, right? Because a lot of brands won't, right? And you absolutely cannot give up here because what happens? On, you know, middle of May now or late May, the brand is going to have an all hand, uh, you know, an executive team meeting where the CEO is going to ask the uh, marketing team, hey, how much money did we allocate for the summer campaign to TikTok or to YouTube or something like that? And the marketing team is going to look at themselves and be like, oh, crap, we don't have a YouTube strategy or we don't have a TikTok strategy or whatever. And realize that in order to appease their executive team, they have to get their act together and figure out what to do. But again, the summer campaign is already fully baked. They already recruited the the people, they can't do anything about it, right? And so campaign starts happening. Okay, great. Now, uh, you know, here's what you do. You parachute into their inbox on random June, you know, 4th, whatever. And you said, hey, saw this you know, article on Adweek or Digiday about how other brands are, are, you know, in your industry are killing it with, you know, long form YouTube content or short form content, whatever. Thought your team might enjoy this, right? And so again, oh, they remember who you are, right? You provide value. They call an internal meeting to talk about this article that you sent. Oh, interesting. Okay. Again, providing value. Now they, you know, fast forward to end of July or, you know, middle of uh, August. Okay. Now we're going to have an all hands meeting about the results of the summer campaign. Interesting. Okay. Now the, uh, they're going to talk about, uh, okay, here's how it went and here's why we need to allocate an additional hundred K or 500 K to long form video content or short form content for the fall campaign. And again, here you come back in their inbox with 
some other value, an article or an offer to chat with their team, whatever. And so now fast forward, here we are, end of, you know, back to school time, whatever. Finally, the CFO greenlights that incremental budget for that fall or maybe even a holiday or winter campaign. And so the, the, what I, and, and so surprise, surprise, who do you think they're going to reach out to about that campaign? You think it's going to be that creator that gave up way back at the beginning <laughs> when the brand said, oh, sorry, we, we're not recruiting anymore. No, they're going to reach out to you because you were at the forefront of their mind for four months providing value. Talk to me about these parachute emails that you're sending in this, during this period of time, because a lot of times the timing's bad. Brand says, hey, sorry, timing isn't good. We take that as rejection. We think that lead, that partnership is never going to happen. Sounds like you take that as a first step. As you said, the, the goal of the pitch is to get on their radar. So how do I continue the relationship in a way that warrants a response from them, but isn't you just saying like, hey, do you have money now? Do you have money now? Do you have budget now? Like what's, what's, what, what is that conversation like? There's this great visual. It's this minor underground. He has a pickaxe. Okay. There's two miners at the very end of the uh, graphic is riches, right? We've got diamonds, we've got cash, we've got, you know, tr a treasure, right? The, the miner on the bottom is faced the other direction. He, there was a sliver of ground in between him and the the goal. And he gave up at the very last minute and is kind of dejectedly walking back towards the beginning. And it's the miner on the top who is just continuing to chisel away, realizing that on the other end of a bunch of hard work, guaranteed is going to be riches, guaranteed is going to be, you know, that, that treasure. If you look at it on a per brand basis, yes, of course, there are going to be some deals that don't pan out and some brands who just, you know, kind of put their hand up and aren't going to. But if you look at it, the strategy as a whole and look at it as I, as long as I keep persevering, as long as I keep providing value and there's various different things that you can say in these email. You know, we talked about the articles that can help, you know, something I've done a ton is like lunch and learns. Hey, let's get on a zoom call. You can call, you know, everyone from your agency or everyone on your brand. And we can talk about what I'm seeing on the ground as a YouTuber or what I'm seeing on the ground as a TikToker. They'll eat that stuff up. Mm. Like they, they don't get it. Number one, they don't get a chance to talk with creators in that way because a lot of creators don't want to give them the time of day to get on a phone call like that, right? And so if you're the person out there at the forefront educating them, you know, helping them understand how to cut through not only with their partnership strategy, but with their own content strategy. Because remember, brands are posting stuff on the internet too. It's totally. not just collaborating, collaborations with you, right? And so if there's like nuggets that they can learn from you, um, that's really valuable. And so there's, my whole thing is like, it's this concept of pivoting. If they say no to you, you don't accept no for an answer. You say, okay, you didn't want that, fine. Let me pitch you something else or or let me propose this other thing <laughs> to you over here. Or, oh, how about a seasonal you know, idea? You didn't want to do a, a, you know, a holiday thing? How about new year, new you? Oh, you don't want to do new year, new you? How about spring? You know, it's like, it's like you never, you can never give up unless they say, don't ever contact us again. Of course, don't contact them. But like most brands are not going to do that. I, a, a story here um, from um, a, a, co a client of mine, a coaching client, um, her name is Emma. She runs a cruising YouTube channel. And she shared in our private community uh, recently that uh, she finally, it was like, we have a share your win section of our community. And she said, it took four emails of pitching this one particular brand without hearing back from them until she finally got a response. And they said, oh, I'm so sorry. It, you know, it's just been crazy on our end. Yeah, let's work together. And now they're moving forward on a deal. <laughs> so could you have the tenacity, everyone listening here, could you have the tenacity to email a brand four times without hearing back from them? 
Like, could that be a goal that you set for yourself and realize that, you know, it's not no, it's just not yet. Yeah, I think about this sometimes. I mean, this is true in in different professions too. Like if you're pitching an investor, these people, part of their job is allocating funds. You're not imposing by giving them an opportunity that is part of what they're doing in their day-to-day job anyway. So I love this this tip of being tenacious. One one response that I've gotten in the past is, hey, it's not a good fit right now, but can you send your rate? Can you send your rates for a typical video? And I hate doing that. I hate reducing <laughs> what I can do to a typical rate card that I send to brand X and brand Y who might be three times the size of brand X. So how do you handle that response of, hey, can you send your rate card? 100% acknowledge this happens sometimes. And your response should be essentially every deal I do is bespoke. I do not have standard rates because my what I propose to you, brand X, Um, is going to be customized based on your objectives. And this is a great opportunity to talk about how important it is if you have a rate card or a rate sheet in your media kit or you have numbers or a place that you send people on your website, oh yeah, just go book a spot, you know, on my YouTube channel or newsletter or whatever, delete that immediately, take that page down. If you're trying to price yourself in a vacuum, Jay, where all, the only thing that you're using to like kind of, you know, calculate your worth is your own metrics, you are completely leaving out the other 50%, which is the brand's objectives. And so a brand will have one of three, 100% of the time, they will have one of three objectives. I call it my ARC framework, A-R-C. A is awareness. So it's a new product launch or they're launching in a new territory. They were in the UK, now they're launching in the US, okay? So they want to, you know, top of funnel. They're trying to get as many eyeballs on this thing, okay? R is repurposing. So the primary reason that the brand wants to collaborate with you is to take your content that you create and repost it on their social platforms, embed it on their website, maybe run paid advertising with it. And the final is the C is conversions. And so this is where the brand, yeah, they want to drive sales. They want to, you know, generate app downloads. They want to get trial signups for their software program. The reason that it's so critical that you understand what success looks like to this brand is that your pricing has to change. A lot of creators think that the only thing brands care about is conversion because some, some will say that, oh yeah, sales, that's, that's what we care about. But again, going back to this education piece, a lot of brands don't really understand the difference between these three things. Let me give you a quick example of why this is so critical that you ask them about their objectives is that let's say that you say, hey, what would success look like to you? What is a win for you if we were to partner? They say, oh, well, you know, um, we, we just love the way in which you create video content. It's super compelling. And the main reason that we want to work with you is we want to, uh, you know, run, you know, take a, a 30 second cut down of the YouTube video that you post and run ads with it. In your mind, you should be like, they just told me that they don't really care that this is going live on my YouTube channel. What they really want to do is run ads with it. So instead of saying, here's my rate for one integrated or one dedicated YouTube video, you say, hey, you know what? Knowing that that's your goal, I can actually create five 30 second videos that you can run as ads and I'll vary up the hook. I'll vary maybe the key messages. I'll have different calls to action at the end. You can just throw the, throw that in the meta, you know, Facebook, Instagram, black box, see which one does better. Since that's what you said, how about we do that instead? And I won't even post it on my YouTube channel. Yeah. It's going to be five X, you know, (laughs) the investment. And you know what the beautiful thing about that scenario, Jay, is that now the amount that you can charge is completely detached from your subscribership or your viewership. Totally, love that. And a lot of times, especially with YouTubers, I find 
they they get really uncomfortable about making like a dedicated video for the sponsor. And they don't realize that maybe what the sponsor wants is just content of a user, somebody who loves the product talking about it, they can put on their own channels. It doesn't need to be a dedicated video to your subscribers. It could be this repurposing uh, objective. When does, when does this conversation happen? How does this conversation happen to figure out the brand's objectives? I mean, this should be the very first question you ask them, whether it's in an inbound, you know, email inquiry or, you know, preferably getting on a phone call with the brand. And I know a lot of creators are like, mm, I don't know if I want to get on a phone call with the brand that terrifies me. You know, if I told you that establishing that initial rapport could be the difference maker uh, to differentiate you from the 50 other creators that they're speaking with. Would you do it? Because this is what happens is that, remember, I ran an agency for many years and the creators who were willing to just kind of get on a phone call with us, kind of maybe it was a, a campaign where the brand wanted some creative ideas from some of the potential partners before kind of green lighting the whole thing. If you were the creator who was willing to jump on a 10, 15 minute phone call with us, even if you ultimately quoted us, our agency to 3X, what these other creators you know, were charging we might just go with you because it seems like the campaign is going to go better, right? Because we could put a face to a name. We, it seems like you're serious, you're professional, as we talked about, you know? And so don't discount the value of just sucking it up, <laughs> you know, uh, just figuring out, you know, dig deep and find that confidence to, to kind of get on a phone call. And you just ask them literally, what would what would success look like? What would a win look like? And the, and the, re the other reason why it's so critical is that if the brand can't tell you, that's a red flag. Because you're setting yourself up for failure. If they can't tell you, like, you know, here's here's what success would look like. This many sales or just this many impressions or views or just more brand awareness or whatever. If they can't tell you that, then there's no way that you're going to win. Because if anyone has ever happened, had this happen where, you know, a brand reaches out. They say, how much for a YouTube video? You quote them a number. You know, you do the deal. You post it. And then the brand comes back and they said, hey, it didn't generate sales or it didn't generate this. And you're like, you throw your hands up and you're like, well, you didn't tell me that was like, you know, the goal. If, if that was your goal, I would have recommended you do this thing over here because that would have moved the needle, you know, more meaningfully. And so, again, you have to the onus is on you to be asking these questions as a creator. Something that's probably worth reminding people is brands run on people like you're having conversations with real people who have jobs who want to enjoy their day to day. So like if you are a pleasant person to work with, that's going to carry some weight in their mind when ultimately they're just doing their job. So like you're saying, getting on the phone, uh, having these conversations, adding value, there's like this fourth unstated goal beyond awareness, repurpose conversions, which is I just want to like enjoy what I'm doing. And if you can be somebody that's like their favorite partner to work with, that probably gives you some pricing leverage as well. Mm -hmm. 100%. When we come back, Justin teaches us how to charge more for every brand deal we pitch. You won't want to miss this, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And now, please enjoy the rest of my conversation with Justin Moore. If I ask the brand what their goals are and they don't know, do I, I mean, obviously, I, I try to help them arrive at it in that conversation. But if they genuinely don't know and they have to like ask their boss, do I forego the campaign because I don't see a way to win? 100%. Don't do the deal. You can't do the deal if they don't know what's you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Hopefully you're able to have these conversations and try to ascertain or maybe help them through. You know, this, this happens a lot where you may be talking with a brand who's never done 
an influencer marketing campaign, or maybe they just, they've only dabbled in it. And so again, like they don't, they don't know the difference. They, you'll ask them what success is and they say awareness and conversions. And you're like, hold on a second here. Um, like we're talking about <laughs> very top of funnel and the very bottom of funnel here. That's not, you know, I can't accomplish that in a single YouTube integration, right? So you, now is the time to educate them. Okay. Well, if that's the case, we should probably do multiple videos. Some will be focused on that top of funnel because, because again, the way in which you tactically execute that integration will change, Jay, because an awareness campaign is maybe you say, maybe it's a, a video podcast you're doing on YouTube. You say this video, this podcast is powered by or supported by brand X and there's no other mention of it. Maybe throughout the entire episode, you may not even link them in the show notes. Because that's an awareness goal. Maybe there's like a, a little, you know, badge on your podcast cover art that says powered by brand. That is an awareness play. A conversion play is click the link in the description box and, you know, use creator wizard 20 for 20% off your first purchase. That is a bottom of funnel direct response conversion play. Again, the way in which you tactically execute it is going to change yeah. based on their goal. And so you have to educate yourself as a creator about the difference. You're so good at this. And this is something that we talked about on on your podcast where you helped me with my sponsorship strategy, which has helped me a lot because we work with some of the same partners. And I know, well, one, I can see that you're going about the partnership much different than I am. And I know that you're probably capturing more value and probably creating more value, certainly creating more value than, than I am at times. And it's because you do this step of learning about the goals, creating a bespoke package. So that's what I want to talk about next is how do I create these bespoke packages of deliverables. Once I've talked to the brand, they've told me their priorities, they've told me their goals. What's the next step for me to get this thing moving forward? Let's start with the basics, which is, okay, moving from here on out, everyone watching or listening, do not just spit back one number when the brand says how much for a YouTube integration. Okay. Don't do that anymore. Okay. Uh, because you're leaving a lot of money on the table. Okay. And so from here forward, we're always going to offer multiple packages, even if the brand is not asking for them. OK, you're not limited by what the brand is asking for. OK, just give you give yourself that permission. OK, it's very it's very liberating for a lot of people to think, oh, wow, I could actually like even though they're asking for one YouTube video. Yeah, you could pitch them five YouTube videos. You could do that. It's OK. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason that you do that, by the way, Jay, let's go back to first principles here is because, again, they're probably talking with lots of different creators, not just you. And so if you help them understand, oh, Actually, we could just do one contract with this one creator. They could they could do five times the amount of work. It's less email threads, less back and forth. Sure, you have now just basically stolen or borrowed budget from all those other you know other creators that they were going to potentially work with. And so this is one of the easiest ways to kind of upsell yourself and and make you know five ten x more on a deal. But it's not just about quantity of work because a lot of people think okay packages sure let me do five packages and I'll just like linearly increase the amount of deliverables. One in, video, yeah, two videos, one video, three two videos, videos, three, yeah, four exactly. videos, five and, videos. And, <laughs> and maybe, yeah, and, and maybe the only incentive for the brands to pick that higher tier is like a price concession, like a discount or something, right? A lot of brands are just not going to pick that, right? And so instead, the real um, eye-opening um, change is you have to tie the brand's goals to what you propose in each tier, so there's different tactics to help them meet their goals. And so um, you talk with them on that phone call or in the email thread or whatever, and they give you a couple different goals. Oftentimes they will. They say, okay, driving more leads to, you know, X, Y, Z, or yeah, maybe sales is one of the goals, or maybe, you know, getting some great content is another goal. And they're, they're going to tell you a couple of different things probably. And so you say, okay, great. For goal one, 
which is getting great content, that's going to be package one. That's where I, I create some assets for you that I don't even post. You can repurpose those in various different ways, X, Y, Z. That's, that's price X, okay? Package two is now going to be completely different than package one because it's going to be tied to goal two. Goal two is, let's say, conversion focus. Okay, that's where I'm going to do the newsletter blasts or that's when I'm going to post on my community tab on YouTube and you know I'm going to give people a promo code or whatever, right? Because it's, we're trying to drive, that's a direct response type advertising approach, right? And then package three, yeah, maybe that one is going to be the awareness play and that's where you're going to be the 12-month exclusive sponsor of the podcast or the YouTube channel or every video I do or whatever. And so what do you think is the big learning lesson here, Jay, is that the only way for the brand to accomplish all their goals is to pick the top package, which includes everything. Ah, so good. It's like, it's like sponsorship jujitsu. Ju- ju- <laughs> if they're going to, if they're going to ask for multiple goals, it's like, all right, but yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm embarrassing myself because I actually don't know the difference between karate and jujitsu. I just goes kind of good doing this type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's, let's fast forward a little bit. I am woefully underperforming all of the areas of trying to hit the sponsorship wheel, but I want to hit a couple more high points. We've got the packages. Brand says, I want package two or I want the top level. Let's talk about the contract. Am I sending the contract? Is the brand sending the contract? Who takes the lead there? I would say rule of thumb, the larger a brand gets, almost in all circumstances, they're going to have a boilerplate contract template that has been blessed by their legal team that they're going to want to send to you. The smaller a brand uh, is, they they may not have a, a contract, uh, you know, for you to say. And so they'll either say, oh, it's okay, we'll just use this email thread as proof or this DM exchange as proof. Definitely not okay. Or they're going to say, can you send the contract? And a lot of creators are like, Ugh! you know, they clam up because they don't have one or they don't know what to do, right? And again, going back to this whole professionalism thing, one of my biggest pieces of advice is go out and hire a lawyer for a couple hours, ask them to create a boilerplate contract template for you where the only thing that you change on a deal-by-deal basis is the appendix, which is essentially the, the very last page. It's, it include, and it includes everything about the, the deal dynamics, right? You've got the SOW, which is the statement of work, kind of the deliverables. Um, you've got the usage rights. You've got the exclusivity and all of the other, you know, doc, you know, uh, you know, terms in the, in the, uh, you know, beginning of the document are kind of all the stuff to protect you, right? The limitation of liability to make sure that, you know, there's no perpetual rights that the brand is receiving to your content, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of people say like, oh, well, you know, I don't have the money to go out and hire a lawyer to do that. And and so here, here's where I sit you down. I'm going to be your tough love sponsorship coach here, your mentor and say, look, if you're starting any other business, there is a cost required for you to start that business. Let's say you're creating an ice cream shop. Okay. What do you have to do? You have to hire labor. You have to hire equipment. You have to get insurance. You have to probably pay for that brick and mortar location with rent or a lease or whatever, right? That is a cost to actually run that business. And so as a creator, what are your costs? camera equipment, software, computer equipment, whatever. And if you're doing partnerships with brands, probably hiring a lawyer to create a contract template for you is a worthwhile investment. Don't just be, and don't just say, oh, I'm not gonna do this until I have a deal in hand that will pay for for the for that. And because and a lot of people, oh, well, my deal is 500 bucks, thousand bucks. If I do, if I hire a lawyer, I'm gonna eat up all my profit. It's like, no, this, this has to come first, okay? If you're serious about this as a creator, this is something you should do. And maybe it will eat up all your profit on this deal. And then you have it for the future. Exactly. On this deal. You mentioned a couple of key points there. If I'm creating my own contract, I think you said deliverables. Uh, you had a couple more things. If I'm adding those to my contract, first of all, can you repeat those, those important aspects? I think is three of them. 
Yeah, there's the, uh, so I call it the do rule, which is D-U-E, the deliverables, the usage rights, and the exclusivity. Those are kind of the main buckets that you need to consider um, when, when you're kind of scoping a deal. And what does, what does that look like? We haven't talked about, uh, we've talked about deliverables. We haven't talked about usage rights or exclusivity. How does that play into these deals? Because maybe it is part of the negotiation up front, but it sounds like it's definitely a part of the contract phase here. You know, we talked about, you know, sometimes the brand, you know, the chief thing that they care about is, is using this content in, in other ways. Um, I have a quick story here. Um, you know, early back in the day when my wife and I you know, first started our, our YouTube channel, when she start, uh, started on in 2009, she was tickled to get any free stuff, right? Uh, and, you know, even when a brand offered to like pay her, that was like, whoa, this is crazy, right? And that was kind of the early days for us. There was this deal that we did where uh, we had worked with this brand, a clothing brand, several times, but they weren't compensating uh, my wife, April. They were paying her in site credit or like kind of clothing credit, right? It was a kind of a major uh, fashion retailer. Again, this was, I think she was getting at that time, maybe like $1,000 worth of credit, which was awesome to her, you know, $2,000, this type of thing. What we didn't realize though, is that the agreement that they sent to us, um, clarifying that we, you know, we were going to get the $1,000, $2,000 worth of clothing credit. We signed away the rights, the usage rights for broadcast TV. And so one day we turned on the TV, we were just like watching TV and there, oh, there goes April's face, her, her YouTube videos. They just took a, you know, cut of that YouTube video and put it into a broadcast TV commercial. And that thing ran for years. Wow. And the compensation that we got from that was $2,000 worth of clothing credit. And again, like the, the, a lot of what I am talking about today and a lot of what I've learned over the years, having been a creator myself for many years, um, but also running the agency is this type of thing. It's the, it's the hard earned mistakes that we made along the way, which I'm trying to like help people realize. And so that's, this is why usage rights is so important. It's not just letting the brands embed it on their website or put it on their Instagram or something. It could be something as significant as broadcast TV or out of home, like a billboard or a bus bench or a print magazine or something like that. And so there's two different types of usage rights. You've got the organic usage rights, which is allowing the brand to just natively repost the content on you know, their site, their social, et cetera, or paid usage rights, where not only are going to, they going to, uh, you know, post it there, but they're going to put additional dollars to amplify it to mm. a, a lot of people, not just your audience. And so that, that second bucket, which is the paid usage rights, um, they absolutely should be paying you for that privilege because they're using your name and likeness, um, to essentially, you know, rub off on their brand. It's, a, it's essentially a very, very loud testimonial for them, Right. And the exclusivity is also very critical because the brand is oftentimes telling you, it's, it's sometimes called competitive protection, where they're saying, hey, you cannot work with our competitors in a certain category for a certain time period, right? So they may say, yeah, you can't, you know, work with, you know, let's say it's a consumer electronic. Actually, I have a story here. I, I, a creator that I worked with early on coaching, she did a deal with a mattress company, okay? You know, these like Casper and, you know, uh, you know Lull and a lot of these large mattress brands. And so the deal was for a free mattress. She wasn't compensated, okay? And the deal that she signed was exclusivity for five years oh. for a free mattress. And so let's say one of these other larger you know, mattress brands came to her in four and a half years and was going to pay her, a, you know, had a big bag with a money sign on it and said, hey, let's collaborate. Uh, oh, sorry, can't do it. So, so <laughs> read your contracts, moral of the story. Yeah. So when you create your own contract, if you're sending it, you can write your own terms here. 
But if yep. you're getting the boiler pit contract, which is usually longer, it's more intense, it's usually more restrictive, I would guess, it sounds like you are looking specifically at things related to usage rights, exclusivity, and you're saying, am I being paid for that? If not, let's remove it. If you want to keep it, pay me more for it. It sounds like uh, the conversation that you're having when you when you get these contracts. <laughs> so let, we actually have to take a step back here, which is that if you are checking for these things, once you've received the contract, that's actually too late. Hmm. You need to be ascertaining these deal dynamics at the very beginning of your negotiation with the brand. Because the moment that you have a written contract in your hand, your contact has told all of their superiors and the legal team that you are good to go. And so if you're catching something at the contract stage and coming back and be like, you need to pay me more money, that contact now has egg on their face. They have to go back to their boss or to their client if it's an agency or the legal team and be like, hey, I know I told you that Jay was locked in, but now he's demanding more money. And it's intro- it introduces all this friction and it kind of sours the relationship because it makes you seem greedy to, to some degree, right? Yeah. And so it's your job, the onus is on you to actually catch this stuff earlier. And when you're ascertaining this early on in the conversation, sometimes when we think about contracts, it starts to feel like a combative, negative conversation, like a battle, a I win, you lose. But I would guess there's a lot that you can convey in like your tone and inflection when you're talking. You're not like, hey, no exclusivity, right? It's more like, let's talk about exclusivity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like making it more of a exactly. conversation where you're like yeah, agreeing I, on something and not like like fighting. Exactly. It's like, again, going back to, it's, it's just a bunch of questions. It's a series of questions. You know, uh, what are you looking to, what platforms are you looking to activate? Because a lot of brands will come inbound and we'd love to collaborate. They don't have a scope of work. They're just that we would love to collaborate. Like, let's talk about that, right? And so, your job is to come back with a list of questions, whether it's on the phone call or over email. You say, you ask about the deliverables. You ask, are you, you know, looking to you know, use this for paid media? Are you looking for exclusivity? It's, a lot, it's these questions that you ask every time to scope the deal. And a lot of creators be like, well, well that sounds like it's going to scare some of the brands off. And my response to that is, good. <laughs> good. It yeah. should scare some brands off. Because you don't want to be wasting your times with, time with brands who don't understand the importance of these types of, of aspects. I want to fast forward through the concept and produce phases a little bit, because I'm going to trust the viewers to do a decent job of, of that. And you'll get better over time. The step of feedback before publish in your sponsorship wheel, I can see creators getting frustrated there with like, Hey, I made this thing. I put a ton of time into it. What do you think brand brand might come back and say, can you change these things? Not realizing how much effort it would go into to changing those things. So how do you recommend people handle this feedback period before the integration goes live. So I know you want to gloss over those other steps and we can find, we can do that. But what I will say is that it's actually these steps, concept production feedback that ultimately determines whether or not a brand will collaborate with you again. Okay. Say more. Because having run the agency, I, I can speak to this firsthand that it wasn't those first couple phases, the pitch and the negotiation, et cetera, um, like that, that we just have to do that with every partner. But you never really know how a relationship is going to go down until you get into the meat 
of the execution of this partnership. And that's where you find out whether the creator is responsive, if they're communicative, if they're professional, because there's going to be multiple back. you know, if I look at some of the threads, the email threads that I have with a lot of the, you know, my wife and I have done over 500 sponsorships. If I look at some of these email threads, there, there may be a hundred emails deep for a long-term partnership. Wow. Right. And so there's a lot of back and forth. There's logistics. There's things that come up that you weren't anticipating. This happens constantly where, you know, they'll send us the finalized creative brief, which is kind of the document outlining everything they want us to talk about. And then, you know, maybe we either, you know, have begun production or we finished it and it's in their hand and they come back and they'd be like, we're so sorry. The client has introduced a new requirement that we didn't understand or expect. Um, how can we like tweak the content to like accommodate for this new request? And so if your default response is like, hmm, no, you're ruining the creative purity or integrity of my craft. Screw you. I'm never working with you again. Like, what do you think is going to happen? You think that brand or agency is going to ever work with you again? No. Whereas uh, in, in a lot of instances, when we ran the agency and we were asking for kind of these small changes, it literally would have required like a quick 30 second voiceover, <laughs> just like, but, but on principle, a lot of these creators are like, mm, no, they have their arms crossed. Right. And so my default here is like, let's just figure out how we can make this work. And yes, there may be, there's, there's obviously like, this is a gr like a, uh, you know, shades of gray here. There are going to be certain requ requests that will, yeah, maybe warrant some incremental compensation if they're asking for full reshoots or, you know, things that are beyond, um, you know, what would be, uh, cons be considered reasonable. But for most times, just do it. Like the brand is going to love you. They're going to remember the fact that you had their back in a pinch, right? I could talk a lot of stories about this type of thing, but yeah, the creators that we worked with over and over on the production phase and in the feedback phase, when we're introducing comments that may be a little challenging, et cetera, et cetera. It's the creators that really understood that this is a business transaction um, <laughs> that, uh, that we ended up working with consistently. Something I love about your work, uh, the way that you work with people, the way that you teach people, is you're always prioritizing the long-term relationship and renewals. You go into every partnership thinking, I want to set this up to get a renewal with this brand, which I don't think is the default for a lot of creatives. Not because they don't want it, but because they're just not thinking that far ahead. And what you're saying here is, similar to what we said earlier, people like to work with people. People like to work with people they like to work with. And the easier you are to work with, in these pinches, that actually becomes an opportunity for you to stand out and, and deepen your relationship with these brands. I have this belief that, you know, we were talking earlier about packages, package strategy and making different things. A lot of people think, oh, how can I upsell and make the most amount of money possible on this particular deal? And my approach is do not upsell the deal, upsell the relationship. Okay. Because your goal is, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to nerd out a little bit here is to reduce churn and increase LTV. These are terminologies that come from kind of the software world or the sales world where churn is you're trying to reduce the number of people who stop working with you. In software, it's like the amount of people who cancel every month on the software, right? And LTV is lifetime value. So your goal is to make the most amount of money possible throughout a long time period. And so the way in which you do that is to prioritize the execution of the deal, prioritize the entire relationship and not try to take every last dollar off the table when you collaborate with the brand. The reason that sponsorships feel unpredictable to you is because you're not approaching it this way. You're thinking it's going to be this one-off kind of transactional thing. You do a deal with the brand. You literally never talk to them again. And now you're back there out on the street hustling for spell change. Oh, new brand. Okay. Okay. Here. Oh, what brand one works with me now this month. Right. And so a lot of people, yeah, sponsorships are great, but you can never really rely on that income, which is a hundred percent false. If you design a sponsorship wheel, 
All right, I'm going to move past publish. Publish seems straightforward. Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> you're 100 you're 100 wrong <laughs> okay what happens with what's what's the complication with publishing besides hitting publish <laughs> well a lot of people don't do it right they don't publish on time they don't they they don't publish the correct version of the asset especially if there were multiple oh, versions man. and back and forth they don't publish the a, a clickable link in the youtube description box you can't actually click it they don't put it above the fold above show more so that you can see it without having to expand it uh, they don't put the right messaging the right coupon code they don't test to see that the coupon code is actually working that's your job as a creator um, there's all these different things that you need to be verifying before this actually goes live because what happens in that scenario if the link doesn't work or the coupon code doesn't work your audience is going to get pissed off they're going to and it's going to affect the performance of the campaign not as many people are going to buy it or sign up or things like that right and so there's a lot of details that you have to verify before you actually publish something it's you can't just mail it in the irony here is my most recent partnership i screwed this up <laughs> i i published i published a call to action that said get 50 or save 50% using this code and the brand had changed the copy to say save $50 and I Ooh. missed that change of character from $50 to 50%. So my audience goes to link they say hey actually this is 33% and I didn't test I didn't test that code. And so what did I have to do? I had to email a brand with egg on my face and say I screwed this up. What can we do here? They were very gracious in changing it so it was 50% what I had promised oh, wow. in the email. But here I am saying, damn, this is a great sponsor. I feel like this campaign could have gone well. This is off to a really bad start. So you're right. I did. Uh, I, I undervalued the published steps and it shows through <laughs> in in the work. But I, this the story has a happy ending, which follows through in step eight, analyze, which you've taught me and I wasn't doing before either. So if I do this, Talk to me about analyze. What is what does that step mean? Real quickly, I wanted to comment on the overconfidence that you just displayed around publishing and production and all this stuff. When people take the sponsorship wheel snapshot, they almost always rate themselves very highly on these three steps. And then when they ultimately go through my program or watch a lot of my content, they they will then take the <laughs> assessment again and re and rate themselves actually lower because sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. You think you're really good at something until you realize what actually goes into it to, to really execute a successful partnership. And so it's not like that. That's not a uncommon thing to think, Oh, actually this is the easiest step. Right. And when in reality it's not, so when it comes to the analysis step, um, we talked about how virtually no creators do this. And when I talk about analysis, what most creators think of is I'm just going to send screenshots to the brand. They ask me for screenshots of my YouTube analytics or screenshots of my Instagram or whatever it is, right? Whatever platform it is. Um, and the brand seems to be okay with that. Like that's all they're asking for, right? But again, we're not here to just do the bare minimum, right, Jay? We're here to exceed and do excellent work and become the most professional partners. And sometimes the brand doesn't ask. Sometimes the brand doesn't even ask. Right, right. And so I have in the past just done no follow-up after a campaign mm. has run. You know, the reason that I think most people are very scared of the analysis step, Jay, is because they're afraid that the campaign didn't go well. They're afraid that they didn't drive the number of sales that the brand was expecting or didn't get the amount of views. Like every, we all experience this, like, man, this, this YouTube video with the brand got like half the views that my normal videos, you know, get. And so the brand must be pissed when in reality, the brand's over here popping champagne bottles. They're stoked, but you, they're not telling you this, right? Because you didn't ask them. Right. And so in my, from my perspective, there's only two scenarios 
in this analysis step. You have to reach out to the brand and ask them, how did it go? And it requires a lot of humility and objectivity here because the brand's going to say one of two things. They're either going to say, it went awesome. And so now you're going to pitch them on the next deal. (laughs) Oh, great. Great to hear it went well. Here's an idea I have for the next collaboration, right? Or you're going to, they're going to give you some challenging feedback. They're going to say, well, uh, it didn't go so well, or we didn't get the number of sales we were hoping, or it didn't get the number of views or whatever. And so now is your ability. Now it's your turn to be introspective and think, why is that? Why do I think that went well? Let me go look at the comments. What were people saying about it? Like, oh yeah, I tried that brand or that product. It didn't go so well. So I'm not going to try it or, oh, it's too expensive or, oh, blah, blah, blah. These are all objections. Think of yourself as a consumer. You have objections when you're scrolling a website, deciding whether to purchase something. Your audience does too. And so it's your job to analyze, um, like, how can I overcome these objections for the next thing that I'm going to pitch this brand. And so you're either going to win or you're going to learn as Nelson Mandela once said. And so if you can have the humility to approach the brand and say, Oh, thank you so much for that feedback. Um, I agree. I think it it could have done better. And here's how I think we can improve it on the next iteration of this, this content based on the data, both quantitative and qualitative insights that I've gleaned. And so let's, let's take a look at what I call a post campaign report that you deliver to the brand that is much deeper than just screenshots of your insights. So this, the story Normally, especially in a situation where I feel like I screwed up, I would retreat into a corner and not do anything. I reached out to the sponsor and said, hey, it's been a couple days. How did this go? He responded, couldn't be happier with the results. 31 new customers, well over 300% ROI goal. And I wouldn't have known that if I didn't reach out. He also followed up and said, I actually think that the 50% off pitch is much more compelling than the $50 pitch. So now the sponsors learned something and it might change their future approach with other creators as well. So I, you, you taught me this because normally I don't follow up on it. And it was exactly for the reason that you shared, which is I'm not getting goals. I assume the goal is conversion. And if the conversion didn't do well, then I feel embarrassed and I don't want to face my embarrassment. But it's unlikely that I'm going to face anger in responding to that sponsor because a lot of people are probably like me. They're probably not even hearing from most of their creators. You know, I think the best advice that I can give around how to steal yourself to feedback that might be tough is exactly how most people deal with trolls and negative comments. Okay. A lot, if we've all been, we've all been doing this a while, we've all got negative feedback. And I think we've all kind of developed some sort of mechanism for how we respond, whether it's deleting, whether it's blocking, whether it's engaging, whatever it is, however you do that, you, you, you carve out a little place of your brain for how to deal with that. And this is what I would suggest is like, figure out how to deal with challenging feedback when you work with partners and approach it the same way. You can't block or delete them, obviously, but like, how do you approach it, right? How, how do you uh, respond with objectivity, with, with maturity, and understand that there's an opportunity here because how many times have you engaged with a troll or a negative comment or you've been really respectful and they've apologized or they've said, oh, you know, now I'm your biggest fan because, you know, you took the time to actually like listen to my feedback like that, that you can absolutely win over sponsors where the relationship was kind of going, going south and you actually, um, you know, were, were able to salvage it through your, um, through your maturity. Shows professionalism and makes you fun to work with. I mean, I would rather work with people that I've worked with in the past than start a relationship from scratch every single time. So the more that I empathize with the sponsor, the more I realize, man, following up is a no-brainer all the way around, even if I feel like the campaign might have underperformed our hopes for it. 
And a lot of times it's not even true. A lot of times it performs better and you just don't even, you don't even know unless you ask. One thing that we haven't talked about, which is I think a really important um, kind of summarization of, of this whole conversation is that when you are analyzing this and when you are kind of sending, you're wrapping this up and tying it with a bow is understanding that a lot of times brands like will just get excited about the ability to partner with you given who you are and who you represent to your community or to the industry, which is an unquantifiable thing. Like the fact that the brand could say, I am partnered with J. Klaus, I am partnered with Creator Science, that is a valuable thing. How do you put a price on that? And so even if the campaign, you know, doesn't perform well to their expectations, they just may keep it rolling because of being able to, you know, continue this partnership and, and be able to say that vocally on social media, in their all-hands marketing meetings. You, you, you would be shocked at the amount of money that some brands will spend just so it can kind of virtue signal internally, where they can get up in front of their marketing team and be like, look at this awesome partnership we did with this really big industry leader. Like, this happens all the time, believe me. <laughs> 